Let me make sure I'm on. Good morning. I love when I come into a church and people are sitting in the front row. <laughs> Appreciate that. Um, thank you, Luke. Thank you, Matthew, uh, Seth, and the staff here for welcoming me. As Luke said, I, uh, I'm one of the pastors down in Tucson. And it was good to be up here. My in-laws live up here, so we came on Wednesday night or Thursday morning and enjoyed the day with our, our family. Um, what I'm going to do this morning, what I do every most Sundays, is I share from the, from, from the Word of God. James chapter 3 verse 1 says to me and every other person that occupies this space in a service that we will be judged more strictly, we will be judged more harshly. I think about that every time I plan, prepare, pray, let the Holy Spirit do his work as I prepare for a service, because I know what I'm going to do in the next half hour, I will stand before the Lord one day to testify. Feel free to say amen this morning. Don't make that opportunity. All right? We're here. Uh, we're here. Um, my mentor uh, in, in preaching and, and pastoral ministry says to me all the time, he says, Marcus, when you're preaching that some sermons you preach get on, they land on people's block, like your residential area. Some sermons land on your street. Some sermons get in your house. Some sermons get on your couch. Some sermons get in your fridge and get all up in your life. This morning, I'm going to be up in your couch. I'm going to put my feet up on your dining room table, and I'm going to tell you the truth. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, uh, for the hearts and minds that are here. I pray that your Holy Spirit does the work. They didn't come to hear from me. They came to hear from you. Would you just uh, produce this fertile ground all over this room in the hearts of the people sitting here, both young and old. Lord, do what you do and move people towards you. Amen. In the summer of 2020, late spring, early summer, you knew where you were. You're probably at home like I was. And you know, we're sitting there, can't go out, worried about this and, and all those kinds of things, trying to be safe. And I was sitting there and I was thinking that summer and that, that, that spring, what if I do get COVID and, 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 and God forbid I pass away? Have I lived a full life? Is there something that I have in mind or I believe that God has placed in my heart that I'm wasting time in doing? Am I dragging my feet in some place in my life? So I called my friend, one of the friends who was willing to actually come out and, and, and hang out with me, you know, six feet apart. I called him. We'll call him. Yeah, amen. We'll call him Charles. I say, hey, Charles, man, do you want to hang out? I texted him, actually. He said, I said, next week. He said, man, let's meet up this week because I haven't seen another person, you know, in a few weeks. So let's go. So I met him. I met him in a park, and we were six feet apart. We were walking around the lake in Denver, and, and he said to me, and I said, hey, Charles, I have something I want to tell you. I'm, I, I, I've been sitting at home, and I've been thinking about my life, and I, I said, I'm going to put the pedal to the metal on this thing that I've been trying to think about for 20 years. Here's what it is. Here's the idea. And I started to share what I wanted to do. And I said to him, I said, Charles, I want to reconcile adult children whose dads may have walked away to reconcile them with their fathers later on in life. He said, brother, do you know what you're talking about? Do you know what you're getting into? I said, I think so. 
right? I think so. I want to do it. After we had a conversation, we started talking about our kids and things like that. We sat by the, we sat by the lake and he said to me, Marcus, I'm one of those children. I'm 44 years old and I haven't seen my father since I was seven. The last time I saw him, he was at the bottom of the stairs. I was at the top of the stairs. He had his rucksack on his back and he said, he didn't even say goodbye and he walked out the door. 37 years ago. And so when he said that, he said, what you're going to do is disrupt something that we've taken as normal in our society and make it not okay. He said, what you're stepping into is, is, is delicate territory, so be careful. Well, he couldn't wait. My buddy Charles couldn't wait for me to start the program, to build it all out. He bought a ticket from Colorado to the East Coast, and he called his mom. He said, I need a phone number for my father. It's been, 40, it's been 37 years. She said, I don't have a phone number, but maybe his sister does. So he called his auntie, and she says, yes, I have a phone number. Here is the number. He said, I got that number, and I called, and I was hoping for voicemail. <laughs> his father answered the phone. And he said, hey, this is your son, Charles. He said, on the, other, on the other end of the phone, there was an audible gasp. He said, how are you doing? Where have you been? How, how, are, you, how, how are things going? What do, you, what do you start in that conversation? Where do you start? He said, well, I want to meet you. Can we meet? Dad said, yes. They met in the park. My friend Charles puts his phone out, and he records the conversation. It's a two-hour-long conversation, and he sends the conversation to me. I guarantee you, if you listen to it, you will weep. Because his dad starts off explaining how he was a 19-year-old, didn't have two pennies to rub together. Some of it sounded like an excuse. Eventually, he works his way through and apologizes to his son. And Charles wasn't there for any kind of money or any kind of get back or anything. Like he, he was angry, yes, but he expressed himself to his dad. And his dad says, son, can we make this better? Can we make this better? And he said, yes. This morning... I want to spend some time talking about the ministry of reconciliation that we have all been given. In Christ, we have been entrusted with not only a ministry, but a message of reconciliation. Now that I have your attention, pick me up in verse 18. I'm going to walk you through why reconciliation is important, what is reconciliation, and how do we do reconciliation. Verse 18. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Our journey to the cross this morning begins right here. Reconciliation. Why reconciliation? Reconciliation brings generational change. 
it brings generational change. When we repair relationships, it brings generational change. Just like when Jesus Christ brought us to himself, it changes how we live. It heals us. It puts hands and feet to our faith. Americans say, it puts, put your money where your mouth is. Which is the thing I don't understand, but anybody understand that? You can explain it to me after service. All this is from God. This is not from somewhere else. It's all from God. We have been given a ministry, a ministry, a message of reconciliation. And this morning, I want to specifically apply that ministry of reconciliation to the father-children relationship. In our society, we joke about it. We talk about, oh, this person has daddy issues. This person has father wounds, right? Even a derogatory term or a derogatory phrase, who's your daddy? We've all heard those and we've normalized them and we're just moving on like nothing else. I'll give you another chance to say amen, but we'll keep going. (laughs) We've accepted it as the norm, right? In church, out of church, it is not the norm. is dysfunction and is brokenness. And it starts, it should start in the church. Somebody gets me right here. (laughs) If you're sitting here right now, you're starting to feel some kind of way. He said, man, Marcus, what are you asking me to do? What are you asking me to do, Marcus? Marcus, you don't know my dad. You don't know my father. Or if you're on the opposite end of this, he said, if you're a dad and you're feeling that way right now, he said, you don't know my child. They don't want to see me. I don't want to see them. I don't want to see him. I want nothing to do with him. I want nothing to do with her. I hurt her so bad. I hurt him so bad. Will he ever want to see my face? Let me get up on your couch a little bit. Jesus says this. Jesus' words, right? He says, if, in, in, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 22 to 24, he says, So if you are offering your gifts at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. Jesus talks about this as if it's something that we should practically do. We should often do. We should do it. We, reconciliation should be a part of our lives. For some, of you, for some of you here, this is dredging up some feelings that I know, right? You have, there's some feelings that you haven't felt in years. Some of you have been Christians for years. You're living, but you're not really living. Because this thing's hanging over your head. When I was 12 years old, I was living as a refugee in the country of Ghana. I was born in Liberia, West Africa, and there was a civil war, and both of my parents lost their lives within 16 months. My father was brutally killed, and, I, and we escaped, me and my older brother. I was orphaned at 11 years old. And while I was, in the, while I was a refugee in another country, I received a letter from one of my siblings who was still stuck in the war. And he said, hey, this is what happened to our father. And here is the name of the man who did it. All I wanted as a 12-year-old was revenge. 
I live with that cloud over my head until I was about 30. I started going to church at 19 and I kept on in church, but there was this one part of my life. There was this one unreconciled thing. There's this one unforgiveness that I could not get past, that I could not give to the Lord because it was too hurtful. It was, it was too hard. It was easier for me to go on. You hear me? It got quiet in here just now. There's an old song that we listened to, I listened to in high school. It's a love song, but one of the lines in that song, you know the song, it says, I'm dying inside and nobody knows it but me. I was going through society, going through school, and no one knew that I had in my mind, there was a man, there was a face, there was that a caricature that I wanted to find. Some of you are living like this, may not be as extreme as I am. Some of you are living like this, where you, there is someone in your life that you cannot bear to see. The thought of that person can ruin your day. Either you cause them harm or they cause, they cause harm to you. In some cases, some of us have been so badly wounded by our fathers. You don't want to hear his name. You don't want to see him. You feel like he owes you something more than he can ever pay. Maybe some of you said, man, I hope, I wish there was a bridge. There was a bridge for me to walk towards him safely. There was somebody who could, who could stand in the, in the gap between him and me, and we can work this out. In other words, you're looking for a path to reconciliation. Because you can't see to forgive. You can't, some of us can't see to admit that, man, I did something wrong, and I need to make reconciliation Letting go, right? Some of you are living, right? You, you just said, I'm just going to let this go. I'm just going to live. I'm just going to live. I'm, it's going to fix itself. One day, he's going he's gonna to come by. One day, it's going to work itself out. One day, it's going to work, right? The sin in your life, you're thinking, one day, it's going to work. When is it going to work? Before I started the program, I was sitting, talking to just single moms, talking to guys who grew up without their dads, girls who grew up without their, with their fathers. Here's what they all told me. They said the, the most likely scenario in this father-children relationship is that the dad is growing old and he's in the hospital bed and he needs to just get it off his chest. And that's where that conversation happens. It doesn't have to. It doesn't have to. If you're sitting here today and I, it feels like you're listening to Nathan telling you, you are that man, you are that man. Am I on your couch right now? I hope I'm in your house. So what is reconciliation? The, 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 the dictionary definition is the restoration of friendly, friendly relationships. Two people who were once estranged coming together in order to reestablish a connection again. God gives us a picture. Here's the thing about God. When he, he, he gives you, he, he's not going to ask you to do something that he himself hasn't done. Y'all missing it. Y'all missing it. I like the head nods. I love it when people take notes, but amens are appreciated. Amen. God gives us a picture, an example of what this is. He says, I was once a sinner. I, Marcus Doe, was once a sinner, unable to save myself. And the holy God sent his son to humbly give his life. The song says, for a wretch like me, so that I could be reconciled to God. 
That is that the Bible says God reconciled us to himself and it was costly. Reconciliation is seeing and treating someone else as God sees and treats them. Uh Uh-oh, I'm going to say that again. Reconciliation is seeing and treating someone as God sees them and treats them. In, there you go. In Christ, we have been entrusted with the message of reconciliation. We have that message. We have that ministry. We can excuse ourselves from it. In a room this size, I know probably about a third, maybe even half of you know someone who's in a situation. Or you're in that situation. 2012, it had been at that point 22 years since I left Liberia as an 11-year-old. I'm sitting in my apartment. Back then I had a landline, don't judge me, 2012. (laughs) And the phone rang. I answered the phone. Hello? Hello? Is this Jungle Boy? Yes, it is. When someone calls me Jungle Boy, that's when I knew they're calling from Liberia because that was my name because I was always out in the woods as a kid, right? Is this Jungle Boy? Yes, it is. How are you? This individual, whose name I will not say, um, was the person who was accused of killing my mother. They went on to say, after we talked, exchanged pleasantries, said to me, I'm sorry for what happened 20 years ago. And I'm sitting in my living room, I'm thinking, you took something from me that I could never get back. I was nine years old when I looked upon my mother's face in a casket. It was crushing. Here's the beauty. She says, will you forgive me? Here's what I need. I'm older now. My kids are in school. They need help. I need help to do some dental work. And I couldn't believe I said this, but I said, I can help you. So how do we reconcile? How do we reconcile? Verse 18 says, all of this is from God who through Christ reconciled himself, reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is in Christ God, which I don't know why there's not a comma in this Bible, but I'm not, right? That is in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. He phrased that, not counting their trespasses against them. It's a step of faith, ladies and gentlemen, my fellow Christians. Not counting their trespasses against them, sharing the great message of the gospel of Jesus Christ through reconciliation, taking our faith into the public square, being active culture makers, being so different than the rest of the world who says, this is normal, I'm going to move on, but we're Christians and we're going to do the opposite. It takes humility, it takes prayer, it takes intentionality. Seeing others as Christ sees them changes us. We are reconciled to God 
through Christ. You and I, God did this for you and I, who were sinners, could not save ourselves in our trespasses, sins. And he sent his son as a bridge. For us to be Christ-like is for us to do this. For us to be Christ-like is to be a bridge, is to, is to endure, right? Is to humble ourselves, is to be prayerful, is to lay down our pride, is to lay down the right to anger, is to drop unforgiveness, is to admit wrongdoing, is to submit yourself to God when you have the right to justice, but you defer to God. Vengeance is mine, says who? It's not yours. It's not mine. Christ, in verse 21 says, having known no sin, saw our sin and still gave his life for us. What a message. If it hasn't hit you yet, I hope it does. Maybe it'll hit you in the car going home. What a message. Christ has reconciled. This is so beautiful. He is reconciling and he will reconcile us to God. This sparks, ladies and gentlemen, this sparks a new way of living. We are, after all, new people, the Bible says. We have been changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Reconcilers live differently. How, Marcus? How? Give me something else. Give me something else. I'll give you something else this morning. It's not in your own strength, ladies and gentlemen. It's not in any knowledge or ability. It's in what Christ has already done. In 2010, after not seeing my siblings for 20 years, I'm in the States at that point. I've been living in the United States for 17 years. I hadn't seen my siblings. And I'm the sixth, right? There's six of us. Well, there were six of us. And I, and I, I decided I want to go back to Liberia. Because I was sitting on the couch of a, of a counselor, and she said, could you live the rest of your life the way you are, unforgiving these people? I know I couldn't, right? I didn't need to hear that from her. I didn't need to hear that, right? I didn't need to see that up, all up in my face. And she said, could you live the, the life you're living right now? And I said, no, I can't. I sat with her almost two years, working through my grief, working through my unforgiveness, working through it. And I bought a ticket after 20 years to head back to Liberia. Yeah, to see the people who had, who had taken my, the lives of my parents. I get to Liberia, and it's, it's a great place, great country now. The war's over. And let me just say on a side note, I gained 27 pounds in 30 days. <laughs> I'm not even making that story up because everywhere I went, somebody was like, oh, you got to eat. We're going to kill this. Go ahead. Let's do it. Right? Let's eat. <laughs> While I was there, I was sitting in a barber shop. And the guy is cutting my hair, shaving my beard. I gave him, <laughs> this is great, um, I gave him five U.S. dollars because you, you have to pay up front. You don't play that game, right? <laughs> you have to pay up front. So I, as soon as I gave him the, US, the five U.S. dollars, they, it was, I wouldn't even call it a barbershop. It was a little, kind of a little, not a hut, but a little enclosure with all, all these other men sitting in the room. It's tight. And we start talking, we start having a conversation, you know, they can tell because my accent has changed, you know, and we're sitting there and he's cutting my hair. As soon as I gave him that $5, I was like, he kind of cleared his schedule out and he's taking his time doing every, every almost like it seems like every hair, right? he's like working it, you know, and I'm telling him, and then he asked me, what, what's your name? And I said, my name's Marcus, and I said my last name, my last name's Doe. Doe 
was the name of the dictator of the country that my dad, my dad was the assistant director of the Secret Service of the country. So when that government was being overthrown, that's how my father lost his life. So when I said my last name, he almost, he froze. He said, what's your name? I said, Marcus Doe. He said, you lived across the street? I said, yeah, I did. He said, well, we were looking for you in the war because we wanted to kill you. All the other gentlemen, most of the other gentlemen sitting in that shop had all been child soldiers in the war. And they were all the people that would have killed me if would have found me in the war. And there we were sitting in that shop. And I'm thinking, what's about to happen? What's about to happen here? And he said, why did you come back? And I couldn't believe it. It came out of my mouth. And I said, I came back for people like you. He said, no one looks us in the eye anymore in society because we have done so many atrocities. We feel less than human. And I realized, looking in their eyes, they were the same age as me. They weren't the monsters that I had imagined them to be. They weren't the caricature that I have created in my brain. I saw a lot of atrocities. They just weren't. Some of you here probably have characterized the person that hurt you the most. But that person, God sees them differently. God sees them differently. And he sees us differently. Verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. We are new people. New people do new things. Takes a while for some of us, but we have a message. We have the message in the church, I'm talking Big C Church, to be on the forefront of this. You know, sometimes when you, it, uh, in the church, it feels like we're always behind on some stuff, right? It's like we're always, we're always like, oh, the society will, will, will take one step or we'll move in a direction. And the church is like, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, it, it's almost like we're still, <laughs> I hate to say this, we're, we're still printing out G, uh, MapQuest directions when everybody else has moved on. Here's an opportunity for us to be on the forefront, to be the leaders. Here's an opportunity and a vision to be Christ-like, to be on the forefront of something in society. So often, like I said, we're behind. Reconciliation is our message. It's all over the place. In the church, one of my favorite books that I read in seminary was James Davison Hunter's To Change the World. And he said a phrase in that book, or he wrote a phrase in that book that says, parts of America in the church feels like it's Christ haunted. He used that phrase. It's like Jesus used to be here and now he's not. Oh, somebody got it. It's like we're, we have this message. We have this great thing that we're supposed to be doing, but we don't do it. We just kind of go through the motions. Am I on your couch yet? We're just kind of playing. We're just kind of, this is not fake it till you make it. This is reconciliation. This is stepping out there. This is saying, believing, and doing what, what, what Christ did. Right? If you become aware of what God has done for you through Jesus, it's, it's humanly impossible, in my opinion, to go back to doing something just, just the way you did it. 
the task of reconciling us to himself, right? We have the, we have the abundant amount of hope in reconciliation. And folks, I know, I know you're dreading the conversation. I know you're dreading what's going to happen. Maybe the rejection. I know. Christ was rejected. But we see how he is. Reconciling to your brother and sister in Christ because you see what Christ has done for you. And you want to do that to other people. It's almost like setting someone free. You're setting yourself free. I can't tell you how free I was when I finally made the decision to forgive the people who took the lives of my parents. I can't believe I, I can't believe it. Because it's not easy, by the way. It's not easy. And I'm going to try not to cry, but if I cry, that's okay. It's not easy. I graduated high school. No one's there. I was a collegiate soccer player, senior day. We're all walking out on the field with our parents. I'm standing there and no one's beside me. Not painful that is. You get married and no one's there. You need help to buy a house, to do these kind of things, and no one's there. And somebody took that from you. And, you're, you're, and then it feels like you're giving the person an out because you're forgiving them. No, you are setting yourself free. And, in the, and believe it or not, you set them free. Somebody say amen. amen. In Christ, we have been entrusted with the ministry and the message of reconciliation, my brothers and sisters. So I created, we reconcile out of my experience because I'm willing to walk the journey with folks who want to walk this journey to reunite, to reconcile, whatever it's going to look like with folks who have hurt you with your dad or your son or daughter. Let's do it. In Christ, we have been entrusted with the ministry and message of reconciliation. Would you bow your heads with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, God, we thank you. Lord, we offer our lives unto you. You will carry us. No one else can. No one else can see our hurts as you can. No one else can see our love as you can, but you can, oh God. Heavenly Father, I pray that this word was cemented in the hearts of those here this morning. I pray that you move in a mighty way. We honor you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.